With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. You're listening to Germ Warfare with Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I normally open my show with some comment about the weather uh, in Cape Town, which is the bottom tip of the African continent. Right now, I'm not in Cape Town. I am just outside Pretoria, which is the capital of South Africa. Arrived here today. I will be here for the next few days. And that's why you have this little bit of an African setting behind me. I'm, I'm sitting on a, on a farm uh, with a moderate internet. So the guys in the studio are going to make, are going to try their best to make sure that everything is somewhat smooth uh, throughout the course of this conversation. Send me an email, germwarfare at tntradio.live. Jump into the live chat. Just because of my suspicious internet connection, I'm not going to open the live chat for now. Um, but you are welcome to send me an email and I'm, I do have that open. Okay. Let's uh, let's jump to the show. My name is Jim. This is Jim Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. Clashing on the controversies. It's a woke society, and I am fed up with it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Michael Bryant, thank you for joining me in the trenches again. Jeremy, thanks for having me. Can I first, you know, give your give your listeners a bit of a warning? Yes, so everyone, Jeremy is uh, giving me a heads up that because of his location, if if things cut out on his end, he's dependent on me through dialogue to keep you entertained. So I've I've made a unilateral decision, <laughs> to, if that happens, to read you some of my bad poetry. So just a fair warning uh, in advance. <laughs> Thanks for having how me, is the weather? How? How's the weather your side? We always have to start of a conversation by talking about the weather. The weather, always the <laughs> weather. Yeah, I, I did see that clip with Bob Moran, and, and it was all about the weather. I live in uh, South Central Florida these days, and it's it's very hot, scorching hot here. Um, I fancy myself to have a bit of a green thumb, um, and I'm trying to figure out how to, to grow certain plants here that uh, don't get scorched by this in, intense sun, but I love it. I, I like the heat and I like the sun. So we get a lot of both of those and I'm, I'm happy for that. You should be careful by talking about it being very hot. Greta Thunberg gets very excited when she hears that. Yeah, Greta's always excited. <laughs> and I think that's, um, you know, or I should say excitable. And I do believe that's um, at the behest of her handlers. I get this, I get this uh, visual, um, Anytime seeing Greta, that there was this event that preceded the public getting to see Greta, where Greta's just like, man, I just don't want to do this anymore. And her handlers are, come on, you, you got to do this. Here's, here's what we're going to give you if you do this. And so Greta somehow does that. In some ways, you know, I have to say maybe I shouldn't, but I, I feel um, <clears throat> a little sorry for her. I don't, I don't feel like this is something that she has come yeah. to on her own. Anyway, that's, I, that's um, I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to chat about climate change, but uh, well, I mean, weirdly enough, what just happened with the COVID era is sort of like that in the sense that it's part of a globalist narrative for mass compliance control and all that sort of thing. So there is an overlap. Uh, when you and I last chatted, um, you you took me basically through a, a a chronological timeline of of events and how ridiculous, how absolutely absurd. They were, and people, millions and millions of people have bought into it. 
And I remember, I remember in the beginning, I did think it was real. Uh, if you know, to be fair, um, I have changed a lot over, <laughs> over the last few years. But right in the beginning, I thought it was real, but I thought it was very, you know, negligible, unimportant, nothing to worry about. And uh, there was a lot of hype around it. I've, I've come to realize that there was no pandemic at all. There was absolutely no contagion. But then the story came out that it was from a bat. And it, you know, it just sounded ridiculous. A, a, a virus jumped from a bat and that was the story. And then the skeptics started saying, well, hang on, hang on, hang on. It looks like it's coming from a lab. And now that is pretty much the story. You don't ever hear in the mainstream at all about a bat. The lab leak is pretty much the narrative, but even that's bunk, isn't it? It is, you know, uh, I think it's hard to keep track of everything that's, that's happened. Um, but if you if we go back and and look at the early days, January, February, 2020, um, the lab leak story was being floated. And in fact, I think it first appeared in the UK Telegraph via Jeremy Ferrer and some um, purportedly leaked emails. I believe it was February 1st or February 2nd of 2020 when the lab leak story um, was was floated out to the public. And um, then he somewhat recanted that, and there's a whole exchange that goes between he, Fauci, and uh, I think it was Collins, Francis Collins on, on this. Mm -hmm. But in any case, um, the, you know, the, the lab leak story itself has quite a few holes in it. So um, I would suggest that anybody that um, is clinging to that narrative or truly believes that narrative, take, just, just take a step back and try to think about some of the events that may question the the possibility of a lab leak. I don't know if those are things you want to get into here, but if you don't mind, can yeah, I give you yeah. can can I give you just a little bit of a a quick yes. narrative on how I came to these things? Okay, so and mm. if we dial it back to the 2005, there was a, a big scare about the avian flu. I don't know if you you were around at that time mm, in, in these I, I remember. Yeah. And so um, at that time, I was an anti-war activist. And, you know, some of the main characters in the United States um, that were in directly involved in the, the strategic planning and execution of the war in Iraq and the various iterations of it were uh, Dick Cheney, James Baker, Donald Rumsfeld, if you remember that. And so uh, around 2004, 2005, I, I had noted that Donald Rumsfeld was buying a lot of stocks in Gilead, and I thought, well, that's kind of strange. Why is he, you know, why is he involved in in this company? And at the same time, um, uh, Gilead was instrumental in in producing uh, a vaccine to attend to this, um, you know, avian flu, which we were being told was going to um, kill a whole bunch of people, and so um, I, I was starting to draw some connections there that, wait a minute, I'm not, I'm not so sure this is a, a true story. And then Rumsfeld ends up you know, selling his stocks, getting out before the, the Tamiflu stock uh, crashes and, and makes a whole bunch of money off of that. And as I'm looking into this, I just noticed these characters who I was not aware of at the time that were promoting the, the avian flu hoax. And that they were, you know, Christian Drosten on the, on the, pseudoscience PCR end of it, uh, Neil Ferguson on the on the modeling, you know, manufactured massive numbers of death end of it and so on and so forth and all these characters. So I just noticed that and 
I didn't really pursue it. That that all died out um, rather quickly. And then we get to you know 2009 and in the swine flu hoax. And I, I notice again, wait a minute, it's the same cast of characters. It's the same institution, same individuals. And so here we are, we get to, to January, 2020. And again, I wasn't really paying that much attention to what was about to become this, this uh, uh, cataclysmic global event. And some guy just comes up to me. I, I knew this guy just tangentially. He says, you know, we're, we're, we're gonna have a global pandemic. And you know, it's kind of out of the blue. This guy tells me this. I, I'm like, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, the World Health Organization is saying that we're going to have this, you know, we're, we're likely to have this global pandemic. I have a friend that's in the World Health Organization that is telling me this. So um, I was fully aware by this time of, of uh, the World Health Organization, what a scurrilous organization this was, is. And so he and I got into a little bit of a, a heated debate about that. And so I went back and, you know, after this conversation, I come home and I said, wait a minute, what's this guy talking about? And again, this is January, 2020. I start looking into this and I was like, wait a minute, they're ramping this up again. They're going to do the swine flu hoax again, swine flu revisited, same cast of characters, same institution, some other cast of characters, you know, jumping in as well. And so, um, you know, I had this history that helped me understand how this was, um, about to transpire um, in, in real time that early in it. Um, now, I didn't realize, um, I, don't, I don't know that anybody did or anybody could have, how, um, how cataclysmic this event would be and the, the, just the magnitude and the ferocity of it. I, I, I can't say that I was prepared for that. I don't believe anybody was. So anyway, that's how I, that's how I arrived at my understanding of, of how they they run these things That's but now i mean story. the narratives yeah the narrative started with a bat uh and i mean that's just absurd anyway right I mean, excuse the pun but right off the bat i mean it's 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 python-esque in its ridiculousness uh and then it became a little bit more serious with the lab leak and of course china bad always china right they're always the baddies mm -hmm. uh and wuhan now I remember thinking this makes no sense. How does it, if if something like this is leaked, why would you leak it in, you know, your own home, so to speak, in your own home city? And then how does it jump to Northern Italy? Uh, the, I mean, this, this just made no sense. That's right. You know, um, I think the, one of the elements involved in demonizing China is, you know, a geo, geopolitical incentive, which, um, I think others would, would speak better to that than I. Um, but to instill the fear narrative in the Western populace, um, you, you want to have this um, creepy disease, this, this uh, deadly virus, this, this pathogen that's, that's going to work its way over here and get us good guys, right? Coming from some exotic, faraway place. You know, if we can have... Uh, this from some back alley wet market where these strange uh, odd people living in this sort of primitive primordial ancient way who must be eating these animals live are um, involved in creating these these pathogens okay through their activities okay their their 
uh, or or if it can, you know, Ebola can jump out of the deep dark jungles of Africa and 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 get us, you know, then then you can sort of create this um, mysterious and haunting sort of heart of darkness, exotic other demon that really triggers an, an emotional response in, in people here in the Western societies. However, to, to just leave it there won't create the kind of fear that you need. So while we need a place somewhere in Western society where this thing is impacting people that we identify with, people that we, we um, see as our own. And so here it comes to Northern Italy, okay? And that, that virus is starting to work its way westward over towards us, quote unquote. And it's impacting these, these people in, in this place that we now identify with. And so that, that helps to begin to get people to um, be fearful that it, it can impact them here in uh, you know, the United States, which is, of course, the, the, in New York City in particular, which is the epicenter of, of uh, you know, Western civilization, quote unquote. I, I say all of that tongue in cheek. Um, I guess what I'm going to do is speak to the fact that what we were speaking about the the idea that um, this lab leak was something that is what uh, was real. The lab leak was. A, a real event which caused this virus to escape from uh, this this lab in Wuhan, China, and then has worked its way uh, over to uh, Western Western societies and yes. is killing yes. a lot of people. Yeah, um, I was actually asking you, Michael, um, about the the nature in which SARS-CoV-2 supposedly spread, and I was saying that you don't need to even get into a conversation about whether or not SARS-CoV-2 exists. I mean, we can, but before you even get there, just look at the, the behavior of this supposed deadly virus. The behavior didn't make any sense. Does, viruses, if they are real, don't act in this way. They, they don't work in clusters. That's right. There's a lot of peculiarities that, that uh, put, put holes into the, into the lab leak theory and, um, one of those which stood out to me really, well, first, let me, let me say this. I've, I've just never heard anybody explain the mechanics, the actual physical mechanics of how the lab leak happened. So we're in this, um, uh, laboratory in Wuhan, China, where it supposedly leaked. How did it leak? Did it attach itself to a person? Did, did, uh, uh an employee, um, have it atta attached to them and they, um, came out came out of the building and then um, infected a bunch of other people. Did it leak through some ductwork? Did it fly out the window? You know, just to be a little um, uh, sardonic about it. So no, but nobody's really explained how how it leaked and then what were the mechanics of how that impacted people from from one point to the next. How did it impact such a large number of people? So. Um, you know, if we if we go back to that time, we don't see any observable evidence of a contagion in late 2019 or early 2020 that would lead up to this this mass death event that we're being told um, occurred because of this this contagion. So, um, you know, how how is that possible? 
how is it that these hot spots that happened um, happened right at the same time that the World Health Organization declares a global pandemic? Does this this virus wait for this government decree and and then it goes yeah. <clears throat> goes into action? So that didn't seem to make sense to me. And then this this deadly virus didn't cause any. Uh, mass death in in the Chinese city where the lab leak is said to have originated. If if there were a lab leak in in Wuhan, why aren't we hearing about these mass deaths in Wuhan? And by the way, um, another point that came to me very early on was um, uh, Wuhan had been in China. There aren't a lot of protests. Um, if you if you protest in China, you're running the risk publicly. You're running the risk of some severe consequences. And uh, however, in 2019, Wuhan was at the epicenter of some protests relating to air pollution in China, right around 1.4, 1.5 million people die each year. Uh, from these deaths are directly attributed to air pollution, okay? So um, I had noticed this and we are being told that this upper respiratory virus is impacting a, a lot of people in China. Well, what we knew in, in Wuhan is that um, there were already pre-existing upper respiratory problems due to the air pollution. And the same is true in Northern Italy. So this was something that caused me to um, raise an eyebrow at um, this allegation that, that this upper respiratory issue was being caused by a pathogen, a virus, rather than the living conditions that people were experiencing. And it was already well documented um, in both of these locations that there had been um, interstitial pneumonia and severe upper respiratory problems with the populace. All right, Michael Bryant, I'm going to quickly go to a break. I'll be back with you shortly. My name is Jim. This is TNT. TNT's David Curtin. The noise about this is not out of any genuine concern for Navalny himself or his family, but this has been weaponized in order to bash Putin. And it seems that the media, the mainstream media, and the politicians in the West, the powers that be, have got what I would call Putin derangement syndrome, which follows on after Brexit derangement syndrome and Trump derangement syndrome. Something is happening in the world that they don't like, they can't control, they've lost control of the narrative, they've lost control of what they want to happen. And what they want to do by this, by bashing Putin in the mainstream media, is to prolong this terrible war in Ukraine. David Curtin on today's News Talk. TNT. She used to dance and dream of a better life, a brighter future, with nutritious food to eat, a chance to learn, to get an education, and do incredible things. Today, Thanks to Children International and friends like you, she dances for the world. Together, we give children in poverty a chance to set their sights high and achieve their dreams by ensuring that they have access to healthcare, education, life skills, and more so they can grow, thrive, and believe in themselves. Gracias. 
Gracias. Learn more about Children International and join us in our life-changing work at children.org today. A hoax about carbon dioxide in the climate has caused a global energy and economic disaster. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. All right, I am chatting to Michael Bryant about the Wuhan event, well, the so-called event. I just want to make it clear, and I'm sure I'm sure you agree with me, Michael. There absolutely was no pandemic, right? That is why they spend billions of dollars around the world telling us that there's a pandemic. That's why they put up billboards and put up um, audio clips through the airport systems and three times a day told us how scary this thing is. I mean, if it really was this deadly zombie virus, it would have been self-evident. Yes, uh, you know, quite a, quite a lot of theatrics. And, you know, were, were you or I looking out our window during this time or walking out in the streets going, wait a minute, there is something crazy going on right now. We have got to, what is this? Oh, it's a deadly virus. It's a deadly pandemic. That makes sense. I'm seeing these bodies all around. I'm hearing ambulances all around. I'm, you know, and at the time I lived only two and a half, three hours from New York City. I was in direct contact every single day with a large number of students who on the weekends would go down to New York City, come back. And that was January, February 2020. And once we got into January and I heard about all this in February 2020, I'm talking to these students all the time. They're not seeing anything going on. Nobody's seeing anything going on. And yet we're being told this story. Um, and so, yeah, it was it was just remarkable that, that they would need to go to all of these lengths to convince people that there was such a thing. But yes, the if funny thing, Michael, I live, I live in Africa, right? Okay. There are a lot of poor people who live in tightly compressed environments, right? They live quite literally on one another. And I don't mean a small suburb. I'm talking about a million or 2 million people in these, you know, massive sort of, uh, what we do, we call them a township, right? This is, I don't know what the American term for that be, but I, I think, you know, what, what kind of environment I'm referring to. And it was supposedly deadly and super contagious. Well, the, the headlines here during that period of time were running along the lines of uh, experts baffled by, by lack of, you know, lack of illness, lack of disease. They couldn't understand why nobody was getting sick. And this happened right across Africa. It's almost as though this, the so-called virus just didn't want to come to Africa. It was racist. It hated black people. <laughs> so are, are you saying that where, where you were at there, there wasn't this fear? There wasn't, um, um, in, in the populace? There was a fear. There was no, no, there was in the middle. It's sort of in the middle classes and upwards, mm -hmm. but in the, in the, in the poverty stricken, um, regions of which there are many on this side of the world, people just went on with their lives. Does does any of that have to, to do with um, the experience in in Africa with the Gates Foundation and, and what the the people know from those experiences? Because I'd run into a gentleman. What, what do you? Yeah, I'd run into a gentleman. He's from South Africa. No, no, go on. Yeah, he, he happened to be, I don't know if you remember, a South African tennis player named Johan Creek. Uh, his brother lives in, yes. um, 
his brother lives in uh, North Carolina. And um, uh, through some just uh, strange circumstances, we were eating at a, uh, a restaurant, a brew pub in North Carolina. And this guy's sitting there. I didn't know him, but I heard overheard them talking and kind of joined in the conversation. This was in, boy, what, what was that? Was that? I think it was 2021. Um, and we, we got to talking. And North Carolina was completely different than where I was at living at the time in upstate New York. Upstate New York was just extremely oppressive. In, in North Carolina, it wasn't that it wasn't as much by 2021. They were going about their lives pretty much. And you didn't see all the masks and all these sorts of things. Anyway, um, we got to talking to him and he didn't buy into any of this narrative. And so he started telling me stories about the Gates Foundation and um, South Africa and how he, he also had led some, um, uh, what do they call them, safaris in Botswana and had with with some of the locals um helping them out as guides they would they would go on these hunts with with westerners that would hire them and whatnot and he was talking about how um they uh these these individuals um who he'd hired they were all aware of what had happened with the gates foundation and these vaccine campaigns um and these ngos for years and years and years and so they inherently did not have trust in, you know, Western uh, medical authorities yeah, telling yeah, them anything. Yeah. And so I wonder maybe if that played into it. I think, somehow. yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, Michael, I think you are, I think you are making a very good point. I don't know if it's the only one. I think there are multiple vectors here. Uh, so why, why South Africa uh, did so well um, in this period? And I mean, I'm including the vaccine. I mean, our uptake was one of the lowest in the world. I think the the first shot was officially, and I think even that's too much. I think it was around 21%. And I think that is, that's the official number. And it's, I think it's too high. The, the first booster, I think was around 2% or something. And, and it's, I mean, they were, they were basically sending all the vaccines back, you know, to the pharmaceutical companies because nobody was, was taking them. Yeah. Um, and, I don't know why that is. I've, I've got a few theories. Um, and in terms of illness, and you could just simply see that the people who were who were getting ill, like every other year, uh, would, were the people who always get ill. Um, there was no difference whatsoever. And there were no ambulances, and there were no mass graves, and there was it was just constant fear porn coming from the media. But when you when you're struggling to survive, uh, I think that worrying about a pathogen is the, you know, it's the least of your concerns. You know, you, you're poor. Mm -hmm. And so there are other things that are way more important. And so they just get on with their lives. But here's another thing, and, and I, I suspect this might have something to do with what you're saying. Not necessarily Gates himself, but I suspect that with a part of the black population here in South Africa and maybe in other parts of Africa too, they looked at this and said, ah, it's another white man's, you know, white man's disease, white man's fear, you know, and, and they're tired of that, you know, and it's a type of imperialism. And I suspect that there was also a, a, a very deep skepticism towards that, which is a good thing now in hindsight, uh, because, because if you don't buy into it, that's a great thing. You know, if you buy into it, you're like, oh, well, what's wrong with you? Um, it's difficult to know. You would need to sit down with a lot of people and, and ask questions, I suppose. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. You know, where I, where I was at in upstate New York, uh, the, the county that we lived in was, uh, had a very high, um, health indices for the population, which is unusual in, in the United States, the United States overall health of its population is, is not very good. Um, we lived in an academic community, the Ivy league university and another liberal arts university. So, you know, fairly well, uh, you know, well endowed economic standing of virtually all the residents, most of the residents. Okay. There was some poverty there. If you just went one County over, two counties over completely different. So when, when this was all happening in early 2020 and beyond, it went for on, you know, two years there, it was, it was crazy. Um, the, the people in the County where we were at just went nuts. I mean, 98.5% of the people masked up all the time for virtually two years. <laughs> and, um, uh, <laughs> In fact, Crazy. one of the Montessori schools there got national attention because they were still making their kids mask at this school the third year into this. Um, but you just go over one county. You know, we were trying to find other people that, that hadn't lost their minds and, and go to other places. We wanted to go to the grocery store and not be hassled, right? Because we wouldn't wear masks and so forth. And we would just go over one county where there's more working class people. And there was still, you know, half or more of the, the folks who had, who had gone crazy during the early times. But even by late 2020 and certainly into 2021, these counties had kind of backed off all this, right? And it was the working class people who, who were opening their restaurants, okay, that were saying, come on in, come to our grocery store, you know, we're going to live our lives. Okay. But where we were at, it was, it was a different, it, it was a different universe. And it did, as you suggested for, for, for us anyway, what we experienced was it did seem to break down on, on class lines, you know, the, the working, working class, working poor, yes. um, they, they were definitely, you know, it was amazing. They, they were so much more aware of what was happening and skeptical and looking into this than where we were at the so-called highly educated, yeah. they had their heads so far in the sand, they wouldn't, they wouldn't look at any information that you would try to provide for them no matter what. And, and I was certainly trying every step of the way. You couldn't crack through it. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, people don't, people don't want to say these sorts of, of, of things, right. That I'm saying, because, they don't want to sound racist, but I'm just giving you an observation, right? I'm not saying anything racist. What I'm saying to you is that in the country in which I live, the people who were the most compliant uh, were the middle classes. And as you probably can guess, the middle classes in South Africa are largely white. They were the ones who, who, who reported their neighbors. They were the ones who, who, um, you know, messaged their WhatsApp groups going on about who's walking their dog or who's walking on the beach. But the lower classes of which the majority are black uh, didn't care. They were the ones who in a sense saved us with their deep suspicion of the state. And and it's because of them. And this is why I no longer buy into that, into the idea of like, you know, um, higher IQ people are smarter. No, I've, I saw a strong correlation between 
people with high IQs and getting jabbed or wearing masks. I mean, you know, it made no sense to me that the, these things just did not work anymore. There was a type of wisdom that superseded, um, you know, straightforward, what you would call IQ. And uh, it definitely moved along class lines, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. That, that um, corroborates everything that I experienced where I was at. And also mm. at the time, we would, we would go to um, different places because we needed to get out of where we were at just to go. We're going to go to Airbnb somewhere and just down south, okay, in, in the United States, mm. down into, into Tennessee, into North Carolina and so forth, just so that into Arkansas so that we could just get away from this oppressive atmosphere with it we were, that we were in. And um, found that to be the case when we would go into places where there were just all the, these good old boys or these 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 hillbillies and whatnot. The the level of skepticism um, was was quite high, and and you know also just the level of not just skepticism based on instinct, intuition, and lack of trust of of the government. There was that certainly, but also individuals who had a curiosity they they did want to know what was going on they were open to say hey if you had some information they wanted to read about it and the so-called intellectuals the so-called critic you know thinkers in in our you know society the, the educated they were just lining up and being obedient whatever the party line was whatever the government told them to do they were just going to march in lockstep with that i had a had an interesting yeah. experience which clued me into this. I couldn't believe it, to be honest with you, Jeremy. I, these are a lot of people that I knew quite well where I was living for years and years who were sticking their head in the sand. I had a experience with a, a guy who's into all this alternative energy. You know, he was anti-war guy, anti-imperialism, hated corporations, all this sort of stuff. And then, boom, COVID comes in. I see this guy in uh, um, that I've known for a long time. And... He just, uh, this was in, this was in uh, 2021, in the spring of 2021. And I saw him on the tennis court and he's like, hey, how you been? I haven't seen you. He didn't have a mask on, right? Cause he's on the tennis court, he's out in the air, right? And I walk in, over to him to shake his hand and he, he, he backs off. He won't shake my hand. He's a, he's a highly educated anti-corporate guy. guy. And he goes over and he just gives me this elbow. You know, he does that elbow bump. And I've made a political gesture, this on my part. I'm not a touchy-feely guy. I went up and hugged him. And he couldn't stop me, right? Because I just did it. And, he, and I could see he just like backed off. He was afraid of this physical contact. And the first question he asked me, right, is, had I been vaccinated? So I respond to him. I said, well, why would I allow a company that's a serial felon to inject a poison into my body, right? Is that something that you've done? And it stopped him dead in his track. The point of that is he hadn't even considered that these were serial felons that he was listening to, that he was being obedient to. And I, I don't need to go into any further mm -hmm. aspects of that conversation. But what it told me was that he had shut off his critical thinking skills and just accepted the narrative yeah. that had been told to him by individuals in the past that he had openly mistrusted. 
so what a mind job they did on people and and we we saw that yeah in in yeah. these um uh, communities where where the uh academics and, and thinkers supposedly um, were inhabiting. And and to this day, I, I, I don't know if I'll ever truly understand it, even though I can analyze it. I don't I don't know if I'll ever really come to terms with with um, grasping how that that took hold of people so so completely. Michael Bryant, don't go anywhere. I'm going to have a quick break. Be back with you shortly. My name is Derm. This is TNT. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. If you tuned into one of the three major cable networks on Saturday night at 7 p.m. when the polls closed in South Carolina to see how long it would take for Donald Trump to be declared the winner, well, let's just say you better have been on time. The polls have now closed at 7 p.m. We are waiting to see whether we will have a call in one direction or another or a too early to call. That has been the case in a few of the contests we've had. And as you can see there, and I'm learning this as I see it on your screen myself, we do have a call. We have projected a winner at polls closing. That was MSNBC, CNN was even faster in calling the race. Polling places are about to close in South Carolina. Five seconds left in the GOP presidential primary fight between Donald Trump and Nikki Haley. And right now, we can make a major projection. CNN projects that Donald Trump will win the South Carolina Republican primary, defeating former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley in her home state. And Fox News was just as quick. It is 7 p.m. here on the East Coast, and the polls are officially closed in the state of South Carolina. Good evening, I'm Brett Baer. And good evening, everybody. I'm Martha McCallum, live here at Fox News headquarters in New York for our special coverage of the South Carolina Republican primary. And the Fox News decision desk can now project that former President Donald Trump will win the state's GOP primary. Yes, all in all, a good night for Trump, very bad night for Nikki Haley in her own home state. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT. I tell my son, I love you every single day. Now, my dad has never said that to me. Not because he doesn't love me, but because culturally it wasn't comfortable for him. Now that he's a grandfather, he says, I love you to my son every time he sees him. My advice to all the fathers out there, forget the cultural restrictions. They grow up way too fast for you to waste even a single precious moment. see it coming. It's pre-diabetes, and it captures one in three adults. You may not even know you have it, but you can escape. Take the one-minute pre-diabetes risk test to know where you stand. With early diagnosis, you can change the outcome and prevent or delay type 2 diabetes. Be your own hero on smartphones everywhere at doihaveprediabetes.org. You're listening to Germ Warfare with Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Michael, I'm enjoying uh, the sort of uh, reminiscing that we're having here because you were just saying before the break that you don't understand how 
how a lot of this played out. And I don't either. And I often ask the question, and it's more of a rhetorical question because I don't think anybody knows. I've chatted a lot to Matthias Desmond, and he, back in the in the in the in the early days, uh, he was suggesting that you know that there was a type of mass a type of mass hypnosis, which is certainly what it would appear to be in many ways. How everybody kind of just went along. Um, but then Peter Bregan would say things like, well, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's people who are just acting as a form of self-preservation. Uh, they don't want to lose their job or whatever it might be. But for whatever reason, loads and loads of people went along with this. And I think if it had to happen again, I'm quite optimistic that a lot more people won't go along with it. What do you think? I agree. Um, I think the the biggest reason for that, to my mind, is that people now, in a general sense, a large section of people now, in a general sense, recognize that, whoa, something really doesn't smell right about that whole endeavor that turned our lives upside down. Um, People are recognizing, you know, this really had a huge, devastating, negative impact on my children. People are have recognized, um, I just saw these corporations make billions and billions of dollars while my cost of living went up. I now am paying five, six dollars for a dozen eggs. Okay, just th- things in their day-to-day lives that have um, deteriorated since this operation um, uh, went underway, aside from the just the deeper mistrust of, of the government overall that I think is, you know, there, in, in the United States anyway, there was already this, this deep distrust, but now I think that's um, gone to, to levels you know, we we hear we just hear now. Oh, there's no more trust in institutions. There's no more trust in the government. There's no more trust in science. There's no more trust in medicine and, and all this sort of thing. Um, we need to we need to um, you know try to try to figure out a way to get that trust back in these. I see it differently. I think those are really positive signs. These aren't institutions and individuals that we should be trusting. And I think I think um, you know building movements off of that. Um, that have more of a, a, a populist control, more of a populist uh, sentiment yeah. um, are, are possible. And so I see that as, as a positive. So I agree. I don't think people will fall for this this nonsense again. And I, I think there will be more activity that is directly confrontational if they were to try this this nonsense again. So mm. that, that's what and, uh, um, I mean. Andrew Kaufman was on my Andrew Kaufman was on my show yesterday and uh, he, he made a very salient point. He said, you know, hospitals used to be run by doctors and nurses and now they're run by CEOs and boards of directors. And that that's a very profound comment because it kind of feeds into the major, major, major problem that has become the medical industry. I mean, they, they will put out tweets saying, yeah, we've, the public don't like us. They've lost trust in, in us. Well, they've done it to themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, in the United States, I think the U.S. right now, the, the U.S. national economy, somewhere around $20 trillion uh, per year, the GDP. 
the health, what's called the health management system, which includes this entire umbrella of items related to the medical industry is the largest sector of that 20, largest piece of that $20 trillion pie. It's, it's right around 4 trillion. Um, and um, so if you, if you go around in the United States, you drive from these towns from one to the next, if you take away the health industry and the education industry, these towns are vaporized. They would be ghost towns, okay? So um, these, these huge investors r run the show in both of these industries, okay? And that's what they are now, they're industries. The, the medical field isn't, isn't there to help, help you. They're, they're there to make money for the, for the uh, large investment firms that can control them. So this, this gets down to, you know, how the protocols are established, how the testing regimes are established in these, these medical industries. At the same time, as I mentioned before, we're seeing this um, lack of distrust in the population of this mammoth industry. And we can see that in certain indices such as uh, vaccine uptake. You know, we're seeing a, a decrease in vaccine uptake um, and I think people are educate, educating themselves now to these things. They're not saying, I'm just going to blindly trust my doctor. I'm going to look into this myself. And wait a minute, I, I see that, that these things are not what I have been conditioned to think of as some miracle cure-all um, uh, uh, medical um, uh, intervention. So, you know, we're, we're seeing that in the numbers that, that um, uh, people are using the medical system I, I don't want to say using the medical system less but yeah they are they are um uh, opting out of some of these medical treatments that were that, that the medical system just took for granted uh, before so yeah well that's a good thing uh, let me give you an example um i uh i i, <laughs> I accidentally stabbed myself in my hand a few weeks ago with my with my knife and i needed to um, get a few stitches and I, I told the doctor that I didn't want to get a tetanus shot. Now, if you had mm. asked me that same, you know, if I told you that story five years ago, I would have probably got the tetanus shot. But thanks mm -hmm. to the COVID era, silver lining is that I became a lot more skeptical of um, a lot of this kind of, uh, in so, to some degree, unnecessary medicine. Amazing you brought that up, Jeremy. I was talking to three kids yesterday about tetanus. And one of the kids was, these are, well, I don't want to say kids, they're young men, you know, they're in their, they're like eight, 18, 17, 18 years old. And one of them had asked me about tetanus, you know, and he had this fear about getting tetanus from when he was a little child and that this could kill him, you know. And so I asked him, I said, have you ever looked into, you know, what tetanus is? And can you provide any documentation in Western society of someone dying from tetanus over the last 20 years. I'd be interested in seeing this if you could. And he really sweet, sweet uh, uh, young, young kids, really nice kids. And, um, um, but they had been conditioned to think in a certain way, fear, 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 fear of tetanus. And one of the kids who's big, big into hunting, you know, he's a hog hunter, he's a, he's a fisher. He just get, shot his turkey this last weekend, you know. He goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, I've been, I've been stuck with rusty nails a bunch of times and been cut really badly. He goes, I've never had tetanus. I always wondered about that. We never got shots, right? And I said, well, I'll tell you what, guys. I'll, I'll bring you some information on this, and then you know, you can decide for yourself. But all I would say to you is, 
that the story that you have been told about tetanus and so many other things in the medical industry is a story told to you by the medical industry by this industry that benefits that profits from you believing this story that you've been told in this certain way and yeah just need some other information and think for yourself on it ask some critical questions i didn't really want to proselytize to them you know about my views mm. necessarily but that i would just provide them some information and then you know ask ask critical questions about it you know and anyway, we're getting more of that which is good but that's a that's a really positive um, step forward. Uh, I mean, the last few years, I think, have, have yes, it's created a huge amount of skepticism and suspicion towards the pharmaceutical industry. They obviously don't like that. But if you just take a step back and you think about it, right, a pharmaceutical company like Pfizer or Moderna, it's not, a, it's not some sort of noble uh, organization that just wants to save the world. Okay, it's a company that makes products like Apple or any other company and it wants consumers so that it can make profits. So if you look at it like that, it's, it's, it makes things a lot easier when it comes to, you know, I'm gonna buy that product or I'm not gonna buy this product. No, I'm not gonna buy that. You don't need all of their products. That's right, they're there, they're there to sell you that products. Okay, another, I guess uh, today will be the mm. state today of, uh, you know, some antidotes, you know, um, which is a departure for myself. I'm usually just a super analytical research oriented person. Well, I was in at a gas station in Arkansas and this was, this was in 2020. I have a brother who lives there. And um, so this is during the height of all this insanity and where, where my brother lives at, there was a high level of resistance right away. Okay. But small area. Okay. And um, you know, I have the, the good old boys they talk like this, you know, they don't believe none of this stuff, right? We don't need none of them shots. I don't need to know your, read your paper. I know they're lying to me, you know, that kind of stuff. And so I was just at the gas station. I was talking to the attendant at the gas station about this. And, and this guy, wiry guy, he's got his arms flying all over the place. He's just coming in, you know, and nobody, there's not a mask in sight, you know, and we, he overheard us talking and then so he goes into his his uh, uh diatribe about how untrustworthy all these people are and use the choice words and so we both get out and we're you know we're, we're paying cash now we go and we're both gassing up at the same time and this guy who you know i'm sure he had no college education he says those pharmaceutical companies out there they're what, what did he say they said they're he said essentially they're not out to cure you they're out to kill you something like this right and um that's great uh, <laughs> yeah and you know it's just this this sort of quote-unquote native intuition native knowledge that this person had that these individuals are not out there for my benefit um they're out there to to profit off of me Okay. That, exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. And exactly right. So, and that they had no interest in, in, when I was in, when I was in conversation, yes. Sorry, man, I spoke over you. That's all right. I just, just, that, you know, when, when, um, uh, that these, these, these entities have no interest in the cure, what they want mm. is to create yes. the disease and therefore pro profit yes. off of and that. 
And something, something I've come to realize, Michael, uh, we were chatting yesterday on my show uh, with, uh, with Andrew Kaufman, is that if you think of it like this, the reason why there are 100 million Americans on antidepressants is because there are 100 million Americans on antidepressants. Uh, the pharmaceutical industry doesn't like healthy people. It likes unhealthy people. Um, and so if you consider the fact that uh, we should theoretically be the healthiest we've ever been, so why are there so many drugs for so many different things? Make no sense. It's simply because they're creating, mm -hmm. they're creating drugs and they're creating illnesses for those drugs. And and people need to kind of just realize that it's a lot simpler. You don't need all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, we were going along. One of the things that I was talking about, just very fundamental things, is okay. Let's say that there was this this uh, mass medical event mm. um, that was occurring. How come we're not hearing about? Um, nutrition, how come we're not hearing about exercise, how yes. come we're not hearing about getting outside and, and, and not leading a sedentary life and and these kind of things. Well, they, they only wanted you to hone in on this one story and that is the, you know, the siren song of, of the, the, uh, yeah. the pill, the vaccine, the injection, the, you know, yes. they're just selling fear, selling that to you so that you will um, um, be um, addicted to their products. Exactly right. Okay. I see time is now running against us. Michael, um, if I wanted to follow your work, uh, how can I? Yes. If, if, um, anybody who wants to read articles that myself and, and others, um, research publish, please go to healthfreedomdefense.org. That's where I do the majority of my research in writing. And you can see articles there. I also have articles published at Off Guardian and Global Research. Yeah, your, I mean, your article and actually your related conversation with Patrick Henningsen, I think it was last year about the COVID timeline. That was fantastic. Uh, I would encourage everybody go and uh, and either listen to that conversation or, or read that or read that article because it really was <laughs> it was eye opening. But on that note, Michael Bryan, thank you for joining me in the trenches. I look forward to chatting to you again. Yeah, thanks a lot for Jeremy. Really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. Yeah, it's a great pleasure. And uh, I will be back tomorrow. Send me an email, germwarfare at tntradio.live. On behalf of uh, Anup and Joel in the studio, my name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. Mm -hmm.